You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. I can't my bag at the moment, getting ready to leave on Wednesday. So we're doing an early record this week, right? So five days from now, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. five days. Oh, okay. So you got a while. Have you been to Singapore for, before? I've not, I've not been to Singapore before, first time. So What I, about yeah. Southeast Asia? Just in general. Yeah, I've been to Southeast Asia a bit. Yeah, uh, Vietnam, um, and then through different parts. But yeah, I mean, Vietnam is my favorite place I've been to so far. So, mm. but it's gonna be good to go to Singapore and been to Hong Kong and stuff before. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Hopefully, I can swing by on the next one. It was just gonna be a little bit too hard to go to Asia before Europe for six weeks. It's a little bit harder for me. I'm on the Austra- on, from Australia. It's just kind of on the way. Um, I'll trade you. Go to yeah. Europe if you like. Uh, we'll see. Um, anyway, so episode 71 today, we're talking about, Hayden, what would you call this? Is this etiquette in flesh and blood? Table manners? What's what's the term? I said etiquette and best practice because I think it's a bit of a mix. There's a bit of etiquette, but there's also some things on, uh, you know, there's from, a, I guess, a, a quality of the gameplay perspective that we're going to talk about, but also just some things that you should, you should do at big events, um, things that you should be mindful of and um, things that you should also be watching for on both sides of the table. Yeah, and I think a little bit of sportsmanship also kind of bleeds over as well. Um, obviously, that's not uh, that's not required to play a game, a successful game of flesh and blood. But I think it is borderline required to have a long and good career doing so. Anyway, let's talk about your week in flesh and blood, Hayden. I know it's been testing, testing, testing. You're about to go play the calling. Do you want to give us any kind of tips, hints? What are you expecting for the Singapore calling? Yeah, it's been a crazy week. Um, it's probably been my busiest week I've ever had for my work life as well, which is just uh, not not good timing. Um, just with leaving on Wednesday, have a lot of things to finish up. Plus, it's just a very busy time of the year as well. So, not as much flesh and blood testing as I as I would like. Ideally, um, I feel okay. I feel like I'm not feeling as good as I was last week. Last week I was feeling particularly good <laughs> about probably being close to locking in a deck. Um, I just feel like testing this week has been, you know, discovering a lot of new things, trying a lot of different things, just understanding where this meta sits at. Um, and it's, it's a very, uh, it's, I don't say it's, it's not a complicated meta. It's, it's just it's just quite open. There's just a lot of things to take into consideration. And um, the hardest thing going into Singapore this week, like you just asked, is, is understanding what the metagame might look like. So, I mean, I'm expecting to see a reasonable amount of aggressive decks, uh, a reasonable amount of sort of guardian and ice decks to combat that and then prism prism will always show up so i do feel like this weekend is going to be quite rock paper scissory to be honest heading into yes. singapore um where that translates over to the pt i'm not sure yet yes yeah, so rock paper scissory is how i would define the meta right now um i do think it is particularly hard to pick a deck because of those really you know pretty much every top contending deck has a really bad matchup um that's likely to show up in force so and it's really tough to actually bring your deck for the pro tour if you're leaving for europe a bit early or just want to you know maybe lock in a deck because i think that the results of the battle hardened in portland um but most importantly the the calling in singapore like drastically affects what deck you should maybe be bringing to the pro tour so i'll just bring you into my mind a little bit i was so, gonna say let's just let's just timestamp this quickly because i don't want people to be listening to this uh basically almost what, mm, five six days from recording this being like true. what are these guys talking about this is uh 8.36 a.m. Saturday morning in Australia, which is, it must be about, what, like 
5.30 for you in Texas, is that right? Yeah, on Friday that's correct. evening? Yeah, on yeah. Friday. Yeah, I forgot that we were recording so early. but um, Very early this week because I'm leaving. I won't be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the top eight of Singapore, I think, could dra- like really sway just like the um, sort of macro a breakdown of what what decks show up to the Pro Tour and like what you're likely to face in Swiss. Like if we see a Singapore where there's five Fi in top eight and a Fi win, like I would expect like levels of Fi at the tournament close to like lightning briar back at us nationals like very very high if we see kind of a diverse top eight you know we have the guardians we have a prism in there we have fine you know maybe like a briar and a viscera as well um kind of full steam ahead status with quo? This, <laughs> yeah. yeah status quo but like then it's like rock paper scissory and i think you just pick your you pick your favorite one right um yeah. and because there there is going to depending how the topic goes like yes if it's overwhelmingly if it's like guardians if it's uh fives if it's um uh even prisms like I think that you could take that data and um, potentially change the deck you're going to play and change your strategy if it is a diverse top eight and we do kind of move forward as status quo. Right now, and like this is how I feel about a lot of the decks in the meta, I think it's kind of take your pick between like three, maybe four decks um, that have, you know, they're, they're attacking a specific thing and then they do have like a, a boogeyman in the format as well that, that is a bad matchup. So um, I think you have a lot of choice depending on how the data comes in. Um, and yeah. I think that I will be using Singapore to sort of, oh God, hopefully I don't have to switch again. I mean, this, you said it earlier, um, you know, you felt better last week. I think that that's kind of been, that's a, that's a takeaway from the, from the testing process this time. Also, it's been influenced by the band, of course, but we've been, it's, it's been hard to lock in a deck. We've been really, really trying to lock in a deck and it's just not happening. <laughs> Yeah. Nowhere near. To, to be honest, I've I, I've probably taken five full decks with me on my trip. I, I think I'm probably selecting from about three or four different heroes at the stage, which is um, yeah, yeah is is crazy to think. Uh, definitely wasn't even feeling that way for the last PT. The, the other thing as well is you talk about what might happen with this meta and where it shakes out. I think you know players are going to end up on comfort picks. I think because it makes sense. You know, we talked about this at at PT um, one. You know, like comfort picks being reasonable picks you know we saw people come for pick to prism to lexi mm-hmm. um maybe just to chain instead of playing bravo or just sticking to bravo start of the show and i think you know it all made sense but that was a really like a two deck format i think that, you know in mm-hmm. terms of what was dominating in that meta this is very different. So I think comfort picks are even more viable uh, this time around. And what it's really going to be is, you know, first of all, there will be someone I, I I feel this way, there will be at least a group or two that find a deck that um you know sits in a position where it's going to match up well maybe it has one bad matchup but you know maybe yeah. it's not maybe it's the fourth or fifth most played deck and they're really rolling you know um but for others it's going to be about which of the three decks you know maybe the three top heroes are you wanting to sacrifice to or the the, the slice of the pie when you talk about that rock paper scissors of aggro um control and whatever prism is yeah they could <laughs> hate, even hate they could even like a group of players could even find like a a card or a game plan right because yeah, for a lot plan. of it it's like you can you can like a lot of these decks are they're quite good into everything and then they just have like one like really bad matchup um or maybe a series but really only one of those decks is going to be represented the pro tour like if you find mm-hmm. a game plan that brings that closer to 50 50 or a card that helps you out in that specific bad matchup i think you that's the deck right like um that's kind of the goal right now so we're trying to find yep exactly <laughs> like I, it's not going to be i don't think it's not going to be another kana right like we're not going to show up with levia with uh talishar and like randomly have this combo deck it's like we're just trying to find specific cards specific gameplays to shore up the bad matchups enough to that where we can have like a more reasonable deck um if gem doesn't go our way 
Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I agree. It's like you know, what what do you do? You pick a deck that's like fifty five in eighty, you know, fifty five percent into eighty percent of its matchups, or do you pick a deck that's like on average around sixty to seventy and seventy percent of the matchups? You know, it's it's a real it's a well, sixty to seventy percent of the matchups. It's a real tough one to call. And yeah, you've got to make the call. And then maybe you can find some cyborg plans, some game plans that give you some edge. Maybe you know you have this natural deck that is a predator into half the field, and you just have to build a cyborg for twenty five percent, and you can get it to close to a flip, and the other twenty five percent you just have to you know, hope to get well, hope to start well or go and have an early lunch. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting. Of course, draft in this format as well. So that makes picks even more oh, yeah. complicated. So um, it's great. Anyway, uh, great conversation. Not not part of our plan, but I think really good to talk about where we are right now as we head into myself, Singapore. And then, of course, uh, what nine days from the time of this pod dropping will be uh, at the PT playing. So, yeah, very exciting times. News, Brendan. Should we jump straight in? Um, I mean, the big one on the news this week that we want to cover is Worlds announcements. So we have an official announcement as we record. Kind of old news by the time the pod drops, uh, unfortunately, so we won't spend too much time on it. I know the kind of discourse on Twitter is, is blowing up. So you know what, if you, or and Facebook, whatever, Discord, you can see these kind of conversations. But, uh, you know, if you're not necessarily ingrained in these communities, you might not be seeing it. So we'll have a little bit of chat about that. But first of all, yeah, Worlds announcements. So um, of course, we already knew the dates of the World Championship. We knew it was happening in San Jose uh, in California. Now we do know that uh, we've got details on format. So it's Thursday, 3rd of November till Sunday, 6th of November uh, at the San Jose Convention Center. Uh, Thursday is going to be, I'm just going to go through the what's happening for run sheet. So Thursday is a world championship players like registration and the at 6pm they have the thing they always do, which is kind of like Alice's Q&A discussion panel plus um, like a, the players reception. And often, uh, I think they open that up to the public as well for a certain amount of spots once they've filled it up with the players who are already qualified for the event, you know, because people might not show or might not come or whatever. Uh, and then Friday, of course, is uh, the start of the world championships. And we're going to start with, so this is 16 rounds of the world championship. So the breakdown is rounds one to three are draft, rounds four to eight are class constructed. So that's day one, eight rounds. Then you show up on Sunday, we've got another draft for rounds nine to 11. And then Brendan, you know, as we head into the run of things, right into the thick of it, five rounds of blitz, mm -hmm. rounds 12 to 16. So we do have three full formats for the world championships, class constructed, draft, blitz, uh, draft being six rounds and um, uh, class constructed five, blitz five. And then there is, of course, uh, the calling on Saturday, uh, which is, I think the calling is classic constructed. Uh, just want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, classic constructed. And then there is also a battle hardened on the Sunday, which is uh, Blitz. So you get those, those formats there. And uh, pretty big prizes as well. They've announced the prize pool for the World Championships. $100,000 USD for US dollars for first. Uh, the champion prize card, which you know about, uh, which you saw Pablo get the, the chain at, at PT1. Uh, gold, gold legendary, um, and PTI, and then that drops down. You can go see it all on fabtcg.com with the announcement. But it's a three hundred thousand dollars prize pool for the, the the world championship alone, and then of course the calling. Uh, it is one of those bigger callings, I think, in terms of prize money. So I think it's about seven thousand for first. Um, anyway, you can go see all the full details there. There's ticket packages. You can see what's available. Really cool sync below mat is the mat for the world championship for the San Jose uh, calling and the associated events, which looks really really cool. Um, so full details, tickets and everything is going up now, I think, at fabevents.gg. But anyway, Brendan, want to ask you, you know, this, by, back to the discourse I said earlier, a lot of discussion, discords, uh, Twitters, um, Facebook pages, just in groups in general, Blitz is going to be at the World Championship uh, and both negative and positive reactions. Any kind of quick thoughts from yourself or what you think about the discourse that's happening around this? Mm. So I haven't seen any of it. Um, I've just been a little bit off social media, but I'm going to assume that the negative discourse is in, you know, regarding Blitz and uh, the competitive integrity around that format. I am, 
You know, usually I, uh, some issues people would say I might fall into that boat of criticism, but uh, I'm actually kind of on the other side where I think that it's a change, man. Yeah, I, well, I just think I think Blitz is um, you know it gets a bad rap, right? I, I do think that it is uh, it is less competitive and um, you have less agency than you do in Cost Constructive, but I still think that it's a very legitimate format um, that you can play competitive events um, with, right? The World Championship. Hmm, we'll see. So the thing is, is just where the the blitz rounds are. I was, I was honestly yeah. waiting for the bot. <laughs> the blitz rounds they fall in a pretty funny time, right? Like they yeah. fall right on that top eight bubble, like where you're actually going to be competing to continue on in the tournament. Um, but overall, I I saw this and I didn't feel bad to be honest. And I think a lot of people might have seen it and felt that way. Um, I just I've played a lot of blitz recently. I played a lot of blitz just in uh, in my fab career in general, and um. I think that it's a decent format. Um, you can have your problems with it, but overall, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's competitive. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not. I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. We've heard from James White many, many times that like this idea of the fully well-rounded player. Uh, we've seen that in the pro tours with these dual formats between draft class constructed. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about fully well-rounded, you know, flesh and blood world champion in congruency with that ethos, I am not surprised that they actually ended up including Blitz as well. And who knows, maybe Blitz could be a fun and healthy format coming into, coming into worlds. I was, I was surprised personally, quite, quite surprised that Blitz was going to be included. Uh, but I didn't have a, a negative reaction personally. Uh, I, I do understand though. I understand the negative reactions. One, one of the big ones and one of the big call outs, and I'm not sure if I've seen this that much, but I've definitely seen it from a couple of people probably would be my biggest gripe if I had an issue with it is that, the, the Blitz format has continually through the messages of LSS been, uh, I mean, you can even look on the Blitz format and the formats page. It's it's touted as the, the, the more casual of the formats, right? The more entry level, the way to access through armories, skirmish. And of course, you know, there was questions when we had the calling, right? The team calling, but it was like, well, it's a team calling, you know, it's a bit mm-hmm. different. Um, of course, there was the Blitz calling um, and Krakow was, was Blitz calling as well. Um, so I think we've started to see it emerge into a bit more and, and LSS maybe casting an eye across the Blitz format a bit more in terms of, you know, uh, banner suspended lists and things like that. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised, but I, I don't think it uh, doesn't make sense. I think it makes some sense. I think one thing on the, the round structure I did want to say is that thinking about it, I actually think it makes way more sense to have it where they've put it. So at first I was like, why would they put this at winning in spots? You know, you feel you like you roll down your your X1, X2, and then you just, you know, roll through three three rounds where, you know, you feel like you get hit with the variance. But that, that can happen in all formats. And the other thing I wanted to say is that because of the way the tiebreakers work in Flesh and Blood uh, with, with Gem is that yeah. losing later rounds as opposed to earlier rounds are better. So you'd rather have that variance come at the end of the start, right, in terms of that. So I think it, I think it makes sense where it is. Um, it might have some interesting things with coverage. I think blitzes can be a little bit tougher for coverage, I think just because of the nature of the short games and how fast paced things can be. But it'd be really interesting to see it's less than a third of of the Swiss. And then of course it's not top eight, it's class constructed top eight. So yeah, and I think in terms of what you just talked about, like the competitive integrity of the format, like like we say, Alice have had an eye on it. Uh, we've seen, and also with big events, you know, you could say, well, there's, you know, there's variants and stuff. Look at the top eights and look at the top cuts of the Blitz events we've had so far. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can say teams average that out, but good players have won these events and done well at Blitz events. It's not like, you know, it's just a, a crapshoot to show up and yeah, I'm just KOing people and I won this event. It's it's not happening, you know, like there's five rounds of this. Yeah, it might happen one or two rounds, but yeah, anyway, it's true. I digress. Yeah, if you look at the tournament, sort of tournament breakdowns. Yuan G1, Krakow, you know, yep. like. Yep, they're players that are, 
Yeah. Nobody's rolling up with KO and just randomly winning a calling, a blitz calling, yeah. or even the world championships. It's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> despite what most of the community seems to think when it comes to blitz, it's like they just think, like, oh, you just get lucky. Yeah. No, yeah, no, some. Just, I mean, there's, there's voices on both sides, right? But my favorite one, and at risk of, of getting the uh, the flack from this for people, you know, saying, tell me to shut up. But my favorite one I saw, it made me, made me, made me crack up. I had a little laugh as I saw someone on Twitter say, you can't have it both ways. You can't complain about LSS members being involved in the blitz calling and then all topping the blitz calling and then complain about the variants of the format. Yeah. It's just me. Whether it's true or not, it just made me laugh. For sure, for sure. Big money, though. Big money on the line. $300,000 prize true. pool. That's true. It's a bit different to a uh, team's calling with a lot. No, I'm just saying line. that in like a good thing in terms of news. It's like there's oh, a lot of sure. money on the line. Huge, <laughs> yeah. Very top heavy. Very top heavy. But I just want to point that out. 100K for first place, which is awesome. That's a very, that's a grail, right? That's amazing yeah. to see. 25K for the finalists, 16 and a half. So nothing to, you know, turn your nose up at. Uh, I guess in even ninth to 16th is 4,000, which is, I think, double what I was paid for my top 16. I think top 16, the PT one was 2.5. I think it's the same for PT two. So, you know, it's it's a big increase, which is, you know, top 64, $1,500. It's probably if you're in continental US, it's going to cover your your trip almost, right? So, um, although it's in California, so maybe it's not. Jose, I'm not sure, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, yeah. So, no, awesome to see. Um, Battle Hard in Portland is happening. It's already happened by the time uh, this pod's up, so we won't talk too much about it, but that's why we're not talking about it on this pod because we, we haven't seen results yet. It has not happened yet at this point. Um, Calling Charlotte and US Nationals info is up on fabtcg.com. That is happening on, uh, I want to say, 23rd to 25th September. Yeah, it is. Uh, so there is, of course, the US Nationals plus the calling. You can go and see all that. Uh, check, you know, how to register and whatnot. Nationals coming up very, very quickly. And then uh, lastly in the news, something exciting popped up on the on the page on the Fab TCG, the mothership this week, Brendan, is that we're getting Dynasty info coming on August 30th. So my question to you, Brendan, is are we seeing a spoiler at the PT? Surely, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, you'd think so. <laughs> Would make sense from... Q&A panel. Q&A yeah. panel. Everyone's going to be waiting with bated breath to see the, the, the images of like the people snapping the PowerPoint and like trying to zoom in and... <laughs> Yeah, well, the good thing about the Q&A panel this time is that James isn't going to have to answer for his sins with Starva this time, because... He did last he, time. I know, that's what I'm saying. He was put on blast last time. Now he gets to relax and talk about this cool sure. new product that's coming out, and I'm like, why did you print this dumb hero? Yeah, we can talk about Stubby Hammers. Yeah. <laughs> Stubby Hammers <laughs> is fine. Uh, so, no, very exciting. Can't wait for... I have, I have... Do you know what? For some reason, Dynasty is maybe top two sets I've been most excited for. Just something really? about... Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just... I feel like we're at this point in this game where we've had a lot of really cool stuff. Uprising was interesting, but now we're about to get... So this is a supplemental set, or whatever they're calling it now. Sorry, like, uh, it's not a it's not a core set. It's not a draft set. And I think this could... You know, we've seen with... You know, I was... To be honest, I was quite disappointed with Everfest. I won't lie. What? Not being like, a set. You don't like potions? What the... <laughs> it's not even that. It's just like, no, I, I think, know. just the, the aesthetic and, and the cards You You and got that. Crucible of War first. You got spoiled, you know? Crucible War is nuts. So anyway, I'm excited that we might be somewhere at least between Everfest and Crucible War, and that even just that is enough to make it probably my top three sets so far. Because Crucible is probably, if not my my favorite set, is probably my second favorite set behind Welcome to Wrath. You know, you know supplemental so. sets are my favorite sets by far. I know we've talked about it a million times in the pod, but like, yeah, they can be. Because so you're a constructed player. What I'm an everything player, but these things are so fun. Like if you look, if we got Crucible of War these days, like I mean. That, that was quite a set to unpack. I mean, I felt like we were f still discovering things multiple sets later. So just awesome. Yeah, just wait for the design. PT. Ooh. <laughs> 
No, it's great. Um, lastly, Patreon call out. Thank you. Big thank you to all of our patrons uh, for, you know, supporting us, everything you're asked to do. If you do want to become a Patreon or patron or you are already a patron, that's where our uh, monthly additional podcasts go up. That's where we throw up um, all of our deck guides when we do deck texts that go up on YouTube, uh, plus any other additional content. We're going to be doing some stuff through the PT. Uh, Brendan, I don't know if we talked about this, but I've got, I've, got, uh, I've got a little camera we're taking along for a ride with the PT. Uh, so you get a little insight into... Our week before the PT, um, Brennan. Brennan's going to be behind the stressing out. We're all like, "What the fuck do we play?" <laughs> the house yeah, is on see, fire. You can see what Brennan's like behind when the you know when the when the webcam's shut off when he's uh, just in his natural habitat. So you're going to have to put a shirt on, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Like you catch me like behind the scenes. I'm like, dude, this game is so awesome. I love when they just ban stuff late. It's so awesome. Just shake it up. <laughs> no I'm kidding. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's all up on patreoncom Arsenal Pass. Moving on. Uh, Commander Cookout time. Mm. We've had some amazing questions come through the Commander Cookout the last few weeks. I've actually had like a plethora to choose from. So I've been trying to uh, vary them up a little bit, choose some different ones, get a little bit of different insight. There's a lot of different kind of questions that have come through, which is super exciting in terms of, you know, gameplay based, uh, theory based, um, you know, away from the table based, which is really cool. So uh, this Commander question comes from, Commander and Cookout question comes from, I'm struggling with words today, Brendan, from Prodigy. Uh, on Discord, on our Arsenal Pass Discord, which you can also get access to if you are a patron. Um, and Prodigy says, do you think yellows might be underplayed in some decks where you wouldn't traditionally think of them? And if not now, could you imagine them rising in viability in the future, outside obvious Luminara-style effects that specifically require them? Yeah, uh, yellows are really funny. Like, that's this, a, yes. <laughs> yep. yellow. I mean, just like yellow pitch is a funny, funny design in flesh and blood yeah. and especially in class constructed. It's great like, design. Yeah. It's just like a, we, it's a weird way in between like your resource card and your, your attack card. I actually thought like, I thought it was kind of a missed opportunity when Icelander didn't utilize yellow cards. I know that the blue, right. You know, kind of is the theme of ice and like, you know, more resources, all of that, but like wizard yellows are effectively just, you know, I don't know. Uh, coasters right <laughs> like they don't do anything um so luminaris that's one of my favorite things about prism it does utilize utilize the yellow pitch does get a payoff for it um i think that you know usually sometimes it feels like when we do see yellow pitch cards being played it's when there's like a nine of um mm. or a specific reason like you think about yellow shrill skullhorn that that card is particularly nice if you're playing a blittle package because it reveals the blittle and still gets the buff um and you know you're playing the blue as well but hey, I'm gonna let you go ahead and weigh in on your sort of ideas of yellow pitch. It, the sort of in-between design of a resource card and attack card. Yeah. So the reason I picked this question is because I think it's actually something that I'm fascinated with is the use of yellows in the game of Flesh and Blood. And it's the balance of pitch and power, right? That's literally what a yellow is. You're, you're, you're trading off. So with a blue, you know, these are traditionally your resource cards. Reds are traditionally your power cards. The cards are going to win you the game. So what does a yellow do? Well, you know, it, it trades off a point of damage here or a slight increase on the, the effect at red for the extra pitch but it's still not a blue so you know often it's like well the, the blue is good here the red's good here the yellow is kind of whatever um <clears throat> but one thing that i think gets overlooked is what yellows do for consistency especially in a, a pitch base or a resource based deck a deck that needs certain resources where yellows can fulfill that so um you know obviously the obvious examples like prism which which prodigy does allude to but there, there is other decks that can use yellows in a, in in quite an efficient way so um you know i think like i think Briar is one that can do that. For instance, decks that have you know uh, want to play 
two one costs on a turn. They have uh, a lot of like zero costs. Um, what what makes yellow is difficult to play in all honesty is weapons, right? So, um, but where that can change, where you can change it up, is like is brute. Brute can play yellows really well because of the the structure of something like romping club. Um, <clears throat> so I do think yellows are, are overlooked just in general in terms of what they can do in the balance of of their pitch value. What I think can actually happen with yellows in the future, and I think we're going to see this with um, people looking at deck design. It's because yellows can actually offset some of your, you know, your variants. You know, the, the how bad does it feel when you draw an all red hand, and how much can that hand be fixed by just having one yellow in it? That can often happen, right? Depending on the deck you're playing. So, having yellows in the deck can offset these like all red, all blue hands, right? They trade some powerful pitch, and that, that can do something that increases consistency. It might lower your ceiling somewhat, but increase consistency in certain decks. So, I think that's kind of the future of yellows, and that's I think that's the design space that Alice have always had in mind is that yellows are this way to offset some of the the variance to offset you know uh trade in that power for that efficiency or trade in that resource for the the efficiency and i think that's something that is kind of underexplored and there is opportunities already out there and i think with deck designers we're going to start to see it used uh, a bit more i am always surprised by how few decks you know play yellows there was good yellows like alice specifically go out and print these really powerful yellow cards to incentivize people to put yellows in the deck to to have this kind of offset of the variance you just talked about, you know, yellows are trash and wizard, you know, they're, they're coasters. But then you look at um, Sonic Boom, right? Cards like that, uh, yeah, Lessons yeah. in Lava, two just... of the most powerful cards in a Kano deck are yellows. And, you know, yes, if they're red, that'd be even more powerful. And if they're blue, that'd be yeah. great resource cards. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So there's, there's so many, you know, Blood Rush, Bellas, Yellow. I like that Alice's have had this design philosophy of using yellows as kind of these power cards. But what I would love to see is like kind of that step down a little bit. Because you talked about nine ofs, right? Nine ofs mm. are a thing. But what about if we saw, you know, six ofs or even like the best of that card being uh, being a yellow potentially? Like I would have loved to see Plunder Run at rare, but only be yellow, for instance, you know, th things like that. So uh, I think there's a lot of design space they can explore. Yeah, I could uh, potentially not be smart enough. Actually, it's very likely, but I do have a, like, I do have a sentiment that I feel like yellows have like kind of missed the mark a bit just in terms of like being utilized. Maybe it's because of the power level of flesh and blood these days but yeah i find myself pretty hard pressed to play a yellow unless there's an overwhelming reason to outside of the actual pitch value of the card such as the attack value whether it's for brute and i want that six attack or whether it's for a little package and i want it to be um you know low enough attack so i can reveal it other than that unless i'm forced to play yellows because it's like a majestic um or something like salt the wound i'm haven't been doing it right and i have a have a hard time finding a compelling reason why right like when we talk about uh sort of mitigating variants and um things like that like you talked about the four red hand like yeah i could have a yellow in that hand but pretty much every time i feel like i'd rather the yellow be a blue um so it's like is the is the better answer always yeah. just to add more blues when you want to have a better curve per se potentially, potentially. yeah so I, I don't know it's a tough question um but yellows are very underused like that was a fact for sure yeah, like you could use an example, right? And this isn't the best example, but it's it's one that I can kind of semi-equates is that you talk about a nine of, right? Let's use Movrian Skies and the mm -hmm. Decks. Nine of, yeah? If you were really worried about that yellow underperforming, you could play, say, Blue Lead the Charge, right? If you were mm -hmm. looking for something that did a similar effect, but was that blue? So there, I think there is, the as the game grows, you're going to see some, I do have concerns for yellows actually in the future in terms of just because redundancy comes in, in terms of with certain effects and stuff like that, and then the yellows become even less useful. But I think the design space we've already seen with, I do agree some miss the mark, but then some are really impactful and, and really important. So um, what 
probably comes down the road is like, how do we utilize and leverage those yellows? Like, what does that look like? Can you build a deck that wants to play the most powerful yellows in it, for instance, in any particular class, and then also utilize that as a kind of backbone to how you structure your deck? Yeah. And slightly going outside of that box, I think that yellow, the game design of yellows is actually really, really good and limited. Like, I really like them in limited. Like, um, you know, like sometimes you go for the one for four at yellow rather than the one for five just because it's a better curve. And in limited, you're not having like these ultra efficient decks like you do in class constructed where it's like, I literally want a red or I want a blue. Like, sometimes the the one for four is just enough um, and you can go with that. Still, at the same time, maybe you would always want that yellow to be a red, but it is probably highly dependent on something like it's a weapon, a consistent thing you're pitching towards and like how much that costs. But I do like the design, like the design space of yellows in limited. In classic, they feel a bit uh, ephemeral for me. Like it's hard, they're hard to get my head around it. I'm just like, oh, I'd rather have a red or I'd rather have a blue. But that's just how I'll, I feel. I'll, I'll counter you a little bit though and say uh, yellows and uprising are pretty trash <laughs> and uprising limited. But previous yeah. limited formats, I agree. Like welcome to Wraith in particular, I think yellows have a, quite a, a high value. Uh, Tales of Aria, Tales, especially yeah. class yellows. Um, so yeah, it's. <laughs> It's interesting, but Uprising in particular, I think, uh, maybe that one missed the mark. I think uh, yellows are significantly terrible. Um, anyway, yeah, right thank you for the question. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for the question, Prodigy. Great question. I love these sort of questions about the sort of, uh, you know, holistic space of the game and, and um, a bit more theory. So if you do want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can do so by uh, dropping them down in the comments on YouTube below. You can email to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Uh, there's a, a channel on our Discord that you can drop them into, or you can just like DM us, tweet at us, whatever you want to do. Drop us a note at the Pro Tour. Anyway, Brendan, I'm going to pass over to you for the main topic of the show. Yeah, so the main topic of the show, edit, table, manner, sportsmanship, whatever you want to call it. Basically, a little bit of a couple tips from Hayden and I on how you should consider behaving when you approach a flesh and blood event, when you get to the table, how do you treat your opponent, and some standard operating procedures that a lot of people. Might not know. I know when I came into card games, there was a lot of stuff going on pre-match, during match, and post-match that I had no freaking idea about. And you know, Hayden and I have had a very close friend of our <laughs> close friend of ours uh, learn a pretty stern lesson about getting to the table on time per se. So, a lot of stuff that goes into that. Who is this? <laughs> ah, who could that be? Anyway, so let's talk about why first. This is going to be pretty pretty quick, but why? So. I think it's important um, if you want to have a good time in this game to curate a positive experience no matter the level of event. So that's your armories, that's your callings, that's your pro tours. Um, I think it's it's generally best practice to leave the table better than you found it. Um, and so that that is somewhat you know, curating that experience with your opponents so that you both have a good time, even if it is at a high-level event like a Pro Tour or like Worlds. Um, the next is to insulate yourself from potential issues and miscommunication. If you've played Flesh and Blood, you've probably had this happen, right? Uh, someone passed priority, they didn't know what's going on, something was done out of order, you couldn't see like the second card that was under the pitch card, all this stuff where you know, I think that if you're clearly articulating your game state, um, and presenting your cards it's just better for everyone including you even from like an edge perspective and lastly i'm just leaving it up to you hayden why would you want to sort of have good table etiquette table manners and sportsmanship when playing flesh and blood i feel like i could write a thesis on this to be honest like i i'm actually glad you brought this topic this is this is all brendan wanting to bring this topic actually i had nothing to do with this but i'm glad we are talking about it because i had a i'd say my my biggest one is that there's two players at the table 
And I think as one half of the players at the table, it's your responsibility to make sure that both players walk away having had a good experience. That like You can disagree with it and you can say, I'm not there to make someone feel better. I'm there to play a game. Cool. That's that's your that's your opinion. That's your attitude. I think that's wrong. I think it's a I think it's a terrible attitude to come to the game with personally. If you're there to just purely win, but it is what it is, right? But I would say that really the crux of my why of why you should sort of have these kind of etiquette and, and table manners, sportsmanship, whatever you want to call it. I, we could come up with a better name, Brennan, but that's all right. Um, we'll leave that to, to Chase. Uh, is that we? You know, like I say, you're you're one half of the match that's happening. So communication is super important. Uh, you know, the the demeanor, the attitude is like is super important. I think. And the other piece is that you um, you just want to be aware of things. You want to avoid having to have a judge come to the table because of miscommunication. You want to avoid uh, having something happen that shouldn't happen because you just haven't didn't know weren't in the right frame of mind, didn't uh, have the right conversation with your opponent. So even to the point, there's just like efficiencies that you can have. Uh, and every every match you have is going to be different. Every opponent is going to be different around the way that they might interact with you. I also think it's important to understand, uh, I guess, the why is um, because everyone's going to be different. So if you can kind of have a few really basic things that you always follow, you can avoid some of these kind of uh, awkward and, and just not very nice interactions. But yeah, so so honestly, so many things. But I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to just jump, diving and talking about some of them. Yeah, for sure. So. Let's get into the how. So I want to start off with the like logistics and standard procedure for pre-match, right? So I have a little bit of a pre-match ritual. And a lot of this I do, like, I actually don't really care what the outcome of me performing these actions are. But by doing them, it, like, puts me in the zone and sort of, like, clicks for me that, okay... I am aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of what's going on. I'm cognizant of the board, the cards, the person, the deck, everything, right? So what I'll do is when I show up, first of all, I'll show up on time. That's important. Um, but I will take, you know, I'll roll. Yeah, a lot of people don't roll their dice before they start sideboarding. So I roll before we start sideboarding. Even odd is always, always. better than high roll. <laughs> but uh, never even odd two dice. That's what Terry Patel says. No, I'm kidding. He, he's uh, always <laughs> with two dice because it's it's just it's it's better. You you can see the dice clanging together. Uh, Tarek says they're not equal. No, I'm kidding. He's he's got a. <laughs> it bothers him so much if you say that. So if you ever play against him, tell him. Uh, tell them that even uh, two dice is not equal to one would do an even odd. Anyway, um, yeah, so I roll before I sideboard. Then I start thinking about my sideboard. I will, my opponent presents their deck. I will count it. So I will count all the cards. I literally don't care, really. Um, obviously, if they have 59 cards or 61 cards, like we will proceed with whatever the res resolution is for that in, in the case of 59. But like I'm not counting because I actually care. When I'm counting my cards, it's just like a part of my pre-match ritual where like I'm getting in a zone, right? I'm making sure I'm checking all my boxes, going down my list, and like that's it, right? Like it becomes mechanical at that point and it helps me sort of become present. Um, so I'll do that. I'll present their deck. I, and this is of course after sideboarding. When I sideboard, I do count my deck after that to make sure there's 60. I can't tell you how many times I've had more cards than I wanted or been at like 59 cards or something silly like that. I will double check my sideboard. So I'll go in and look at the cards that are not in the deck, double check the, all the ones are there. Everything is correct. All that good stuff. Um, Hayden, what is your sort of pre-match procedure look like? Yeah, I wanted to actually just kind of like riff off of your ones because mine mine are quite different. I do things um, differently, so to speak. So uh, I do agree with you. The in terms of like sitting down at the table. I mean, my first thing is I just introduce myself, just say hello and and um, meet who I'm playing. Uh, I think just going back to my first point, it's half your job as the player at the table to 
to make it a good environment. So that's kind of my first my first job is just sit down and just say hello. And yeah, I mean, it might be different for a featured person. You might want to be in the zone and it's just, you know, you just want to play your game and be there and, and, and that's cool. Um, the, the next for me is, yeah, determining, you know, who's going to go first and second. So rolling the dice, I will always odd even. I just immediately, do you want odd or even? Let's just roll it. Uh, odd and even saves on re-rolls, right? It's the easiest way to do it. Uh, if people are a little bit worried about odd even, they want a high roll. I get suspicious, <laughs> to be honest. It's crazy. But, yeah, yeah I, I, that's probably the one thing I don't like is when people want to high roll because it just does make me a little bit suspicious. I've watched people roll dice and not roll dice properly. And so if they don't want to, they don't want to uh, odd even with one dice, I'll offer odd and even with two dice so they can clearly see it or I'll, I'll offer them to, to roll the odd even and I'll call it. Um, not interested in high roll, to be honest. <laughs> um, the next thing, yeah, like you say, so sideboarding after that, so... Reveal hero, odd even, you know, everyone knows procedures, decide who's going to go first, second. I'll get into my sideboarding. My sideboarding has been different for, for first, second, so I always make sure that we determine who's going first, second before I even touch my sideboard. Um, like you, I'm then sideboarding, making sure I've got the cards I want in my sideboard afterwards, you know, away from the game. Uh, they're the cards I know that match my sideboard plan and uh, that I've got, you know, 60 cards in my deck. I, to be honest, I don't actually count my deck. I just count my sideboard. I kind of trust that I haven't dropped cards, but I have done that before. So yeah. uh, maybe I should start. <laughs> I left a, I left behind a, um, an Electrify Red at a table in, uh, in where was the calling went to? In Florida. Uh, and the judges called me up to the front of the table. So luckily I got it back before the next round even started because I probably wouldn't have noticed and that could have been uh, bad for me presenting a 59 card deck. Um, presentation of decks. I don't count my opponent's deck, to be honest. Uh, I, I'll ask them. I'll be like, if, if it's relevant to me, you know, are you playing more than 60 cards? Uh, maybe that's a trust thing, to be honest. that's pro I probably wouldn't recommend that to people. I would say if you are worried about what people are playing in the X amount of cards, I would just count their deck. Just be very careful about how you do it. But it can throw some people off. I just prefer not to do it. I will I will when I'm shuffling, though, just like always kind of... I'll shuffle my, I've always shuffle my opponent's deck. I won't ever just cut. And I will just kind of like glance over the, the back of their sleeves and just like check because um, through no throttle of the opponent's own of the opponents, right? Their, their sleeves might just not be in a good, a good shape, and whether they intentionally do it or not, they could have some, un, you know, unintentionally marked sleeves that allow them to know what the cards are, even if they're not thinking about it. You know, a slight bend on a sleeve here they saw last game that they remember could just be like, yeah, they know their cards on top of the deck. So to protect both players, I'll always just kind of check the, the the sleeves as they go. I'm also checking my sleeves when I'm shuffling up as well to make sure I've got no split sleeves, no marked sleeves or anything like that to replace sleeves. I'd say I replace like a sleeve or two every kind of second round just through natural kind of like shuffling and marking, especially after sort of rounds five or six because um, that can happen. So yeah, that's kind of my, my pregame. Yep. Um, and that, I mean, that's a good point you talked about is your sleeves getting, getting marked and you're replacing sleeves like that. So I remember when I first started playing, I had been using the same sleeves I've been using for God knows how many months. And this idea of marked sleeves is not even a thing for me. And yeah, I will go through multiple sleeves in an event. It just happens. Um, yeah. and better to, better for you to catch it rather for, than some judge to catch it when you're unaware. So I will. It's your responsibility. Yep. It's, your, it's actually your responsibility. Like that, that is the, at the be all and end all is whether you have done something intentionally or unintentionally you can go look at the, the the rules and policies for infractions is that it's actually your responsibility to make sure that you do have no unintentionally or intentionally marked sleeves so um at the end of the day if you are playing with marked sleeves be it unintentional you could face quite a severe consequence of that so it is something to be and this is where the, the foiling discussion with cards has come in as well because that is that can be considered marked cards so you know i also just i'm avoiding foils at this point but also yep. just being really careful about the uniformity of my deck and and changing sleeves just need be it's just not it's not worth the risk and it's a it's your responsibility as the player as one again one half of the table there just just make sure your deck's in good shape 
Yep. Um, that is a slight deviation, but I do want to kind of just zone in on that point real quick because I do think it is very, very, very important if you're playing at a pro tour. Um, I'm also completely avoiding foils. This means that I'm buying additional cards that I do not own and not foil because I don't think that you should take any chances right now. They have gotten rid of the disqualification um, mm. that was very easy to get, and now it's a game loss, but a game loss at a pro tour because one of your foils is a little bit more pringled than the other one. Don't go for it. I think if you can afford to buy a non-foil, please do so because uh, nobody has fun when that happens. Um, anyway, I've always had that approach though. Like I've never played with foils. The kind of the foil fables kind of annoys me. And yeah. um, you, you can know, proxy if I'm playing them. Yeah, you can. You can ask the head judge for a proxy. Mm-hmm. And I recommend you do, by the way, because uh, yeah, we've had a few of those. So this is uh, backing up just a little bit. The I guess it's pre 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 match, and that's just showing up on time. So it's very very important to be punctual, uh, to be at the table on time. If you are not, you will be punished accordingly. We had a friend, Mister Dante Del Frisco, using the bathroom. Um, thought it'd be no big deal if he showed up ten to fifteen seconds late. Got a nice stiff IP penalty off the back of that thing. As you. Yeah, you just need to be aware. Listen to listen to the comms. I know that sometimes the round duration can be kind of variable, right? Because it goes over time because people are turns or maybe um, it you know pretty much never ends early. But you know sometimes it can be a bit variable. I think that you should try to get whatever business you need to get done um, after the round done as quickly as possible. If you have time, if not, get to your table. Uh, you can get to your table, then you can raise your hand, call a judge over, and then ask if you can use the restroom or, or something okay. like that. Uh, and I will I will, I will, do that um, most of the time, to be honest, because I don't want to get caught with this uh, IP yeah. penalty. Something that I think people don't know is that you you can take a comfort break if you need to during a match. You can, mm. you can if you need to step away from the table for any good reason so you need to use the bathroom you need some water you feel unwell and need you know need a second um you can't use it strategically obviously you know you can't be like well i just need a minute and then go and think for a bit uh but you know if there's a legitimate reason comfort break etc be aware these will be noticed so you know if you're doing this every round you know the judge is probably going to come and talk to you and it's going to look you know suspicious so use it where you really need to but the 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 ideal should be that between rounds um and keep in mind how much time is left like brennan said you know okay my match is finished it's 10 minutes i'm gonna go and do everything i need to do now and then i'll kind of like stand around and chill out afterwards and just use the time that's available rather than chill out for a bit and then rush to go to the bathroom and get water etc yeah i think that that can transition us into sort of during match procedure as well so just uh, kind of going off that point of asking a judge to use a restroom or something like that. When you do ask him, I recommend you also ask for additional time to compensate for the time that you're yeah. gone. Usually they will give it to you, but um, sometimes you can get a bit shortchanged or they don't give it to you. Like to, they could forget their people too. Um, so I will, even if I'm on the freaking fastest aggro deck that this game has ever seen, um, I'm still going to, it's like these things I don't want to think about. I don't make decisions. I just have standard operating procedures when it comes to stuff like this. And like, it just gets done. Right. Like even if my deck is fast and I see my opponent's deck is fast, I'm still asking for the extra two, three minutes while I go to the restroom, just because I just do that every time. And if I do it every time, I'll never forget to do it and it will never be a problem. Um, so going into sort of during match, this is something that uh, this is sort of a skill and just a way of presenting yourself as a player that I know I respect um, and sort of look up to very, very highly for players that can do this well. And this is just creating a clear game state with how you play your cards, how you place them down, and also how you use your voice, right? How you use your language um, and sort of articulate exactly what is going on in the game, um, progressing through the phases correctly, making your, your speech and your play clear right so you know you can see the pitch there's no you know there's no cards that are stacked on top of each other your combat chain looks all good etc etc 
when I play against opponents that do that very well, um, and they make it extremely clear what is going on, I think everybody has a better time. It's something I respect very, very much, and I've tried to emulate in my play. I do think it is legitimately a skill and a muscle, something you have to work at. But I think that's one of the <laughs> funny enough is like I actually think that's one of the highest accolades of professional play is like people that can really really articulate and make it clear like what exactly is going on and professional i think at the end of the day like that's the best word for it is professionalism i think that you know sort of pre prevent presenting yourself in that way um and presenting the game is uh, just very very good for both you and your opponent in a successful game of flesh and blood avoids issues and there is this kind of you know i've, I've had this discourse before where it's like well you know, I should do all the things I'm required to do, but I'm not required to clarify game states for my opponent. Um, I mean, to a degree, that's that's true. Um, but if, you know, if this is your angle shoot, to, you know, get your opponent to forget a trigger or uh, not understand that you have a pitch here or, um, you know, that this non-attack action is now buried three cards deep in your graveyard is, is still live on the combat chain. Um, I, I mean, the, 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 the margins that are involved, right, are just are just so small and i just don't think that these small margins for even yourself even if you think this is the right thing to do which i personally i don't is is worth the what you're going for here there's just so many other things that can happen on the back of this there's so many things that can go wrong in terms of the the game state being misunderstood you know triggers being forgotten by both sides it's just not um it's not worth it. a clear clean game state uh but you know to the rules like in terms of like one that comes up often is like non-attack actions right Mm -hmm. Yes, they go to the graveyard afterwards, and and you you can choose to keep them somewhere if you want to represent or do whatever you want. Um, you know that that's fine, but they still need to be clear. You know, even if they've gone to the graveyard, it needs to be clear that this card's been played. Um, which is you know which is where they should be, but it's yeah. um something to keep in mind. Yeah, that is a funny. That is just a funny part. The of weirdest thing about flesh and blood. Yes, it is. A, it is very very weird, and I understand why they go to the graveyard, but they do actively make the game much much harder to understand. And like, I think, yeah, I think it's a super silly system, but at the same time, I do think it's necessary, and I don't have a better solution for it. But yeah, you'll see ninety percent of players leave the non-attack actions on the combat chain just because it makes the game state extremely clear. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, sort of. During, I think if you if you're able to pull this off effectively, um, if there is a judge call, it makes it infinitely easier to handle that, right? Because you have been very clear in exactly what is happening, what has happened, and you can simply retrace those steps. And you know, if you're playing in adherence to the rules, you should have no problem 99% of the time. There might be those outliers, and we'll talk about that in – I sort of have a bonus section of what it's, what it's like to call a judge and what it means to appeal a judge and what that process is like. But um, yeah, I mean the, the more clear you are, the better off you're going to be if there is a judge call and if there is some confusion. Covers you. you, yeah. You just make you make sure you're covered. It's not even about helping your opponent. It's making sure that you are covered because when you have this conversation with the judge, you can clearly point out, "I played this. I said this. This went to the graveyard. This came in. I announced this card. That you know, that the I announced the trigger when it hit. We clarified that yes, the crush effect was here. I said, crush effect. You know, close the combat chain, etc. Last thing, I know you're going to talk about. You want to talk about judging yeah. in a bonus section, but just just one piece of advice I can I can give. Any discrepancy, any question, immediately call a judge. Like there's not even, it's not a, it's not about you trying to angle shoot. It's not about trying to, uh, you know, put pressure on the opponent. Just, you shouldn't decide. It's not up to you. If there's a discrepancy, immediately call a judge. It's the first thing I'll always do because it just takes out any, any bias, any kind of like feeling or emotion out of it because 
I've just taken the decision out of me and the player trying to decide between us. That shouldn't happen. That's not what it is. It's the judge. It's a judge call. That's what we need. There's a discrepancy on the table. That's what judges there to solve. So if there's something where my opponent goes, oh, I thought this, then, or, you know, a trigger got missed and my opponent doesn't think that the trigger was missed, hand up immediately and just call judge. But we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, and that was actually kind of the last point I had here was just to not to to not be afraid to call a judge. Yeah. I think a lot of players are when they enter the game, but you will realize pretty quickly, and we will tell you right now that it is not taboo and it is actually better. Um, I have all the time my opponents will ask me sort of basic rules questions, which I could answer sometimes. I mean, people do, <laughs> people do, wrong? people do. Yeah, exactly. People do ask me unusual amount of rules questions, like I know, and I know Hayden would tell you that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Okay, um, I don't know, but also, even if it's basic and I do know the answer, I call a judge because if I'm wrong, then I, I don't know if uh, by the actual rules of the game, if it is my fault. But uh, from what I understand, I think it is, and I don't want to provide my opponent with incorrect information, even if it's like I'm 99 sure, because that one percent, it's really, really bad. I would just direct them to call the judge themselves. I'd just say, uh, look, if you've got a question about that, I'd probably just, just call a judge, just to clarify. That was, that's what I would say. Just make it nice and easy. At the end of the day, the judges are there to help, not hamper. They are there to support the smooth running of the event. They are the players, not friends, but, you know, so to speak, metaphorically, the friends of the table, you know, they're there to, to adjudicate and make sure things go as they should. So it's never a bad, you know, I mean, sometimes it's bad in terms of when a judge comes, but it's not bad to ever, it's never bad to call a judge. The correct decision is always to call a judge. It's never an incorrect decision to call a judge. That is when things can get murky and uh, go down a bad path, which can, when the judge does eventually come because things escalate, be very bad for both sides of the table. So just call a judge. <laughs> All right, heading on to my favorite section, which is the post-match. Um, yeah, I think that you need to be humble in victory, but also you know, humble in defeat and humble in victory. So, Aiden, I'm just going to throw this question immediately to you. How, what do you think is the appropriate way to treat a loss? I mean, that's a game, personally. Not to say I haven't had losses where it's, you know, it's tilted me or made me feel... Uh, bad um you know i have i have actually two examples i want to i want to throw on this of like my personal experience on this but first of all i do just want to say the the way to treat a loss is is just that you know lost the game that's fine that's no it's not it's not made the dynamic between me and the player or my opponent any different you know in terms of i'll usually still have a chat afterwards it's not gonna uh change things if things went poorly for some reason or something there was a, a, a you know something that happened that i didn't agree with because maybe there's discrepancy or um you know something happened between me and my opponent that just left me feeling not very good maybe an interaction that i didn't really like then i will probably just be polite and just say yep thank you for the game and just just leave the table and just remove myself from the situation um you know i've lost two winning ins for one for a calling one for a pt that felt both pretty pretty bad uh, I would say I had kind of like two different experiences of that. My first one, I didn't take it so well. I was not not so good when I was at the calling uh, and I lost my winning in. Um, just the, 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 the game just didn't go my way, right? There was a lot of like points where variance really hit me and that kind of got to me. Um, so I just removed myself from the table and just, that's kind of what happened. My winning at the PT, you know what? Like the game didn't go my way, but I had uh, a pretty good experience despite a judge call that was not a very good experience, but that's fine. Um, and my opponent was really good about it. And we had a conversation afterwards and we pressed out the table for five minutes. So it, it just, it's, it's an attitude thing, I think. And um, at the end of the day, like I'm there to play the game and, and have a good experience and, and yes, to win, but it's not, it's not all about just winning. Yeah. Um, I think that when you're presented with a hard loss, like a top eight loss or um, 
maybe the variance is going to win. We'll get to that where I think people use it a bit liberally as well. But like, I think you have an opportunity there. Like you have an opportunity to sort of step up um, and treat it like treat it as a learning opportunity, treat it correctly, right? Be gracious in defeat. And I think the more you do that, the better career you're going to have um, by far. Like it's the hardest thing to do. I think that, you know, as human beings, a lot of us do have a initial adverse reaction to losing, especially when we're very emotionally invested. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like, you know, it's just a game for, cause for a lot of people, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. It's, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, but you won't get anywhere in life by being salty or being uh, sort of just sour about defeat. Um, all defeats are learning opportunities, right? And I think that the sooner you can, or so the more you can positively reframe those losses towards that, just the better career you're going to have in flesh and blood and the better play experience overall. Uh, and I think that this is just like part of, um, I don't know, being a, being a good person <laughs> is learning how to treat sort of disappointments, defeats, and setbacks yeah. in that way. Yeah, don't get me wrong. In terms of, uh, no, I'm not getting you. I'm not getting. No, no, no. You I just want to. I just want to clarify <laughs> though, because because I did just think about it. When I when I say it's just a game, I guess that's that's my attitude of like, you know, it's just one game. Not that not that Flesh and Blood is just a game because it's not just a game. Like it is, it's so much more. Especially to to you know, um, myself and Brendan and, and a lot of others. But what I mean is that that is just a game, just one game that's happened. And you know, for whatever reason, the loss happened. I misplayed. There was variance. It is what it is. I would definitely be a lot more annoyed if I misplayed as opposed to variance. But that is fine. And, and like you say, people use the term variance loosely. I just think the main thing is, and the kind of words to live by is just don't be a dick and just think about what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like it's the person on the other side of the table has very different feelings to you if they've just won a game, right? They're probably feeling elated. You know, they're feeling like they've just won a really important match, whatever it is. And, you know, I've, I've unfortunately heard people belittle yeah. those victories and yeah. that, that's really saddening to hear. And I, I just think that as a player, win, lose, draw, whatever, you've got to be conscious of the attitude, the demeanor, whatever. If it's not your thing, you know, conversation and friendly banter and whatever is not your thing, that's fine. I'm not saying that you have to do that, but just, you know, just cool, great match, whatever, or thank you, sign the slip and just just leave the table, you know, remove yourself from the situation. Um, it's way worse to say small things or, you know, even a couple of words that could make someone feel really bad about the game as opposed to just leaving the table. So apply it to the sort of person you are and don't you know i'm not saying change your personality but whatever fits with you if you're you know if you're a very serious person you don't conversation isn't there you're there just to play the game that that's fine but you know um but just be mindful of the way that you act and what you say and it is going to impact people yeah um just want to draw attention to that point you said because I think it's really important and i kind of skipped over it but yeah Belittling victories is just such a terrible thing to do. Um, and I know, like, you will feel that way, especially when you get really unlucky. Like, wow, if they just didn't get that one thing. It's like, but you just don't say that. Let the person enjoy the victory. And, like, that's all you can do is help them facilitate their good moment while you deal with yours and go learn and come back better. So the next one I have, which is going to be really quick, is just how to treat a win. And it's pretty much the exact same way. <laughs> there's really, uh, most people treat wins just fine, but you don't, there's no need to rub in your opponent's face kind of, I don't know. There's some opponents that will get a bit upset and you can tell, and it's like, I just let them have their space, have their time. And, you know, um, uh, I don't have a trouble with it, but I think that it comes down to humility, right? Like you want to be, you want to be humble in victory. I've seen some people not be so humble, which is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's when, when things that, you know, it's a big, you know, it's like a winning for top eight. It's, it's winning an event. Like, yeah, you know, it's really hard to control those emotions and, and you shouldn't have to, but 
also, again, someone else on the other side of the table who's feeling the very opposite emotions to what you're feeling. Um, I did just want to say one, one big thing about this kind of like how to treat a win and how to treat a loss is like a big learning for me is that <clears throat> I like to self-reflect a lot in the game moments and uh, post the game. And I had to like check myself a bit because this is something that I do that I think is not a good habit and I need to get better at. It's like, especially at a, events like an armory or a, a skirmish or just, you know, maybe even like a road to nationals, events that are maybe at the kind of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say low level, but you know, like at the kind of, uh, the not the not professional level, like the competitive level or the casual level, I'll often find myself like thinking so much about my plays during the thing, trying to, you know, learn and get better that I actually talk about like my punts and things like this and, and get frustrated at myself, which is like not helping the player on the opposite side of the table. And I did this actually the other weekend uh, and um, someone locally who uh, is, you know, not, you know a, bit of, a bit of a friend, a good guy, nice guy. Uh, I made a bit of a, a punt against him and then I just bemoaned myself for making the punt for so long and then realized that's not a good experience for him uh, for me to be talking about this. Just need to move on and get on with it, right? Yeah. So just um, self, self-learning there. <laughs> So last one I have is just how to deal with salty players. Uh, like me. Yeah, basically you just get up and you walk away after the match. I mean, whatever, right? Like, I just don't really entertain that. Like, I think that if you're displaying some kind of verbal tilt to me or some sort of anguish for your loss, like, I've just written you off as, like, I have no interest in, in dealing with you or in any of this situation because I just think it's not it's not a good thing to do. It's just objectively incorrect every single time, and you need to have enough control of yourself not to do that. And I've slipped up, too. Like, I've had some really big yeah. matches where I've sat after the matchup and just been like, oh, my God. My opponent's like, yeah, man, I'm sorry for, like, you know, really high-rolling. I'm like, oh, just like, I was like, dude, I can't right now. <laughs> I'm like, I know, it's okay. Like, I just, I gotta go. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you just get up and you just kind of walk away and move on to the next match. The the one I do want to get on to is like how to deal with verbally abusive players because I've had to deal with this. Um, I did not employ this the the action that I will recommend and that is recommended by the rules and community at large. And that's you just call a judge. Like those people are idiots. Don't listen to them. Don't even engage with them. Just call a judge and get away from that person because fundamentally, I mean, they're just a loser. And yeah, I don't know. It's very, very unlikely, by the way. If you're listening it's to this, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this and you think you're going to go to an event and deal with some people that are going to get angry at you, um, I think most players will go through their entire TCG career and never have it happen. Yeah, you probably won't experience it. It's, it's very rare, but it's good to know that if it does happen, that the best course of action is just immediately call the judge and just get them involved in the situation and try and remove yourself from the situation because nothing to do with you it's all on this person right they're doing something that you know we just don't want that community that, that behavior in the community right so how do you how do you get rid of it um i agree on like the, the salty players front as well right it's just uh it's a case of just being like yep thanks and just just walk away and leave them to it obviously you know they've they're in a bad headspace in that moment and, and that's that's not up to you to to fix that or to um to help them with that i mean you can choose to if you want to, if you want to give it a go but often it's just better just to to just leave the situation um and just on the flip side of it, try try not to be salty, right? It's hard, like definitely. Like, I agree with you. There's times where I'm just like, I don't know if it's salt. It's just like, I don't know if you do this, Brendan, but like my my biggest thing is like <clears throat> variance is variance, but like a misplay is like the most yeah, tilting self, thing. Self pity, right? Like, it's it is. It's like it's self also, like that's also really self immolation. Like, People will sit there, yeah. Yourself. Yep, they'll sit there and be like, oh, oh if I didn't, oh, if I didn't. and they just yeah, keep yeah, pulling yeah. back this one play, and it's like shut up <laughs> it's like we all know we punted yeah it's like because like i do this i mean i do the same thing i'm usually doing it internally but i mean in testing i'll just be like oh, i punted back then i punted like five turns ago lost yeah, me yeah. the game but um yeah i mean it's, that, it's self-reflect yeah it's really good like it's good to but you know <laughs> it's, it's just like how much do you do it like what i just said before right like i i've definitely been guilty of doing it 
outwardly too much as opposed to just inwardly and just living with it and just moving on with the game because I, I will always move on with the game it's like okay that's happened I need to find a way to win but still in my mind I'm like fuck you know this and, and to verbally let my opponent know it's just it's it's not relevant it's just gonna make their time worse so it's something that i know definitely like for me is like a, a piece to work on yeah, and some people start feeling bad too which is like i know which is just like yeah i don't want that situation all right so on to the burn anyway. section uh hayden big t- big one here i want you to condense it as quickly as possible but we did okay. gloss over it just like what is angle shooting what does it mean and what like and approaches very very like with much brevity as possible is like what should you be looking for if anything okay yeah, cool. So, I mean, angle shooting is basically trying to find small margins uh, through generally ambiguity to to win, right? So uh, not declaring a card, um, stacking a pitch card under another a pitch card to make things ambiguous, uh, putting things under something else, or just generally trying to make things ambiguous to get an edge, to get a margin on your opponent is, is basically what angle shooting is, even to the point of, you know, you might say something that could be misconstrued or you don't mm-hmm. say things in a definite way so that leaves uh, open to interpretation to the opponent. That's what angle shooting is. Uh, there's basically, I think, no room for it in the game. Yeah. What to look for is just your opponent just not being clear. When you ask them to clarify, not being clear, being kind of a little bit shady and ambiguous. Some people are just quiet and that's fine. Uh, you'll see that. But, you know, it, I think once you start to see the signs of it, you can pick it up. Mm-hmm. yep so and then my yeah the one thing i want to say is that i would give most people's benefit of the doubt and i think a foul play is much less common than you think and yes. there's some people like i just don't understand this type of human being that will talk about like potential issues of foul play and like everybody's cheating and like those people suck um it's so rare it definitely happens but it's so rare and if if people are blaming their like the failure of their macro career off of like people cheating them and English shooting them. It's like, dude, you just, no, you suck. <laughs> nah. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a saying that I remember my rugby coach used to use is something about like the sound that like some hooves sound is like the usually horses or some, I don't know. Something. You don't really yeah. remember it. There's no, a, no, 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 um, yeah, probably not the reason you're losing. Anyway, hundred yeah, percent. Like it's just, it's just. But the, the thing is, again, I want to go back to if you do suspect that something is going on, or you just feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, just call a judge. Honestly, like never feel bad about calling a judge. If you think something is not quite right, you can call a judge. You also don't have to talk to a judge at the table. You can ask, "Hey, judge, do you mind if I ask you a question away from the table?" Your opponent doesn't need to know what it's about. You never have to ask the question in front of your opponent. You can ask to be taken away from the table and ask the question of a judge, and that's perfectly normal. That's perfectly fine to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, this goes off that quite well, which is just how to handle judge calls. We did talk a little bit about this, uh, the, during the, during the main sections, but I just want to reiterate if you're new to, um, competitive events or just events in general, calling a judge is not taboo and you should do it probably more liberally than you are at the same time, how to handle judge calls. People get, some people get really nervous and, um, yeah, like it's, it's not good. Uh, that's this is why being clear during the match is really important. Um, and then I think you just recount the ex- exactly what happened in the most truthful way possible. Please don't be untruthful. It usually doesn't work out in your favor. And yeah, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time it's going to work out fine. Um, and most of these things are just miscommunications. Anyway. Yep. Uh, just just tell like it is exactly what happened. The facts. No need to add. Oh, I think my opponent thought this. Or just there's no need to add any kind of like um thought or theory around what's happening to the actions just exactly what happened i said this 
my opponent did this, my opponent said that I said this, you know, like just, just the facts, that's all the judge needs. And then the judge will start their investigation and ask the questions that are necessary. Um, but just, just the facts. And then, yeah, you don't need to be nervous. Like the judge is there to figure out what has happened. And the, also if you were just being completely honest upfront and just acting in your normal way, uh, that's going to be the best outcome. When people start to, you know, like say something that they maybe, you know, they didn't, they annotate the the conversation between their opponent or they misquote or whatever, that's when things start to happen where the judge is going to start to put suspicion on. So just say it like it is, tell it like it is, let the judge figure it out. And that's all that really needs to be done. Um, and, and judges are mostly friendly, you know, They're, in fact, all the judges I know are friendly. So no need to be nervous too is a very standard procedure. So if a judge, you know, judges are people too, like we said, if a judge gives you a, a ruling that, yeah, that you, makes sense. you think is incorrect or maybe you think you know is incorrect, you can appeal it. And appealing a judge call is not taboo. It does seem very taboo at the beginning. You're like, oh, I'm going to tell this person they're wrong and ask their, you know, be a Karen and ask their for their boss or something. No, yeah. it's actually really, really common to be honest. And um, there's a lot of rules of flesh and blood. It's a very complicated game. Um, and I think it's, it's, and it's generally understood by the community that it's perfectly reasonable to um, appeal a judge call. If you're not only if you, you know, you think they're hundred percent correct, but maybe you're just unsure. You're like, ah, oh, it doesn't really sound right. I want to get a second opinion. Uh, yeah. Just don't be afraid to go ahead and appeal if you think it's uh, appropriate. It definitely. And not just for like specific like rulings for um, penalties and infractions as well. If you don't agree with what's being passed down in terms of, or you don't understand, or you just want a second opinion, right? Like something just doesn't feel right about that. Or I don't, the, the, the decision that's been made by the judge doesn't reflect what you thought happened in that situation. You know, like, oh, I said this, my opponent said this, and maybe they side with your opponent, but you're in your mind, you are stout and know that that is not what happened. A appeal it every single time. Uh, I had an, a judge call in my last round of the PT that I didn't agree with the ruling that the judge made. I, I disagreed entirely with the, the kind of theory of it. I appealed the, the judge ruling, um, ended up being upheld, which it's fine. I still disagree with it, but I got a second opinion, right? Two judges had, had conversed and decided this thing and, and um, that's much better and made me feel a lot more at ease than if I hadn't appealed the, the decision. Yep, I had that happen in uh, Indianapolis. It was an interaction with Otarath Merciful Retribution and um, the judges. Uh, Merciful Retribution? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Merci it, yeah, Otarath Merciful Retribution and, of course, Spectral Shields. It was something about sort of how the triggers would be ordered, how much damage exactly would be taken. Um, and I appealed it and it was overruled um, to the correct ruling. But yeah, just don't be afraid to do it. So the last one I have on here is something we've talked about throughout. Um, which is just humility. I think that humility is one of the the, the greatest virtues that you can have as a player, um, and I also think it's one of the hardest ones to have. It is it is it is kind of the um, what is it? It's it's more of a an example of I think strength rather than weakness. And although this is generally understood, uh, yeah, I mean, just be humble in uh, in victory and be humble in defeat. And my sort of sub point here and. Slightly, slightly off topic of his, but just don't be the I got unlucky guy. Nobody likes that person. <laughs> just like, shut up. You lost. Oh. Like, I would say that, dude. If Sasha came up to me and he was like, oh, I got unlucky, like, shut up. <laughs> the bad beat story. Yeah. yeah I, the I, bad beat. Oh my God. That's what I have called. one request. I have one request. If, uh, if you want to come have a chat with me, Brendan, oh, yeah. BT, or wherever, or Singapore, please do. Love having conversations with everyone. <laughs> if it's to tell us a bad beat story, please don't. <laughs> That actually does I, happen. Rude, but honestly, I just, I don't have time for people's bad beat stories. It's like, probably after about 15 seconds, I've tuned out. I'll be honest with you. If it's a bad beat story. If you want to have a legit conversation about anything, life, flesh and blood, the meta, the event itself, 
you know, uh, talk about a specific matchup, awesome. Please do. If you're going to start with, oh, you won't believe what just happened last round, oh. I'm, I'm probably just already not listening, to be honest. So, and that, that might sound really rude, but what, <laughs> I'm going to be it's, honest. It's such a meme, too, like, because it, it's, it definitely happened. It, this isn't even, this is even rare. This happens a lot. And it doesn't even happen with, like, um, uh, I don't know, people, I don't know. It's like the people, the worst offenders are like, the people I'm closer with, they're like Prince, my yeah. friends. Oh my god! <laughs> Just start this. You're like, oh, they start with the you won't believe what happened. You're like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I gotta go to the bathroom. Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's um, why we just gotta get. We gotta use this. This is gonna be our words. And be like, shut up. <laughs> just like the most. Just like, don't yeah. The the last thing I wanted to say is you said don't be the icon lucky guy. And if you're like me and you're trying to improve, self improve a little bit, uh, don't be the. Oh, I made these chaotic misplays to just just learn from it and just move on that's that's my uh that's my that's what i'm working on if anyone wants to join me in that uh please do but yeah, yeah. learning from your losses that's a life exactly. lesson right there huge uh, all right Hayden. well that concludes flesh and blood etiquette sportsmanship and uh so just how to behave at the table if someone can think of a better yeah. word shoot it in the comments would love to hear it <laughs> because we'll change the title quickly <laughs> yeah now it's just a soup of words um anyway closing out for I Go ahead. Fun. I just want to say that, that that's a great conversation. I'm glad we did that. Thanks for bringing it to the table, Brennan, um, because it's it's really important. I think it's something that's not touched. I know Josh Scott did a, an article not long ago about kind of just being prepared for an event, which I would recommend going checking out. We did cover some of those things there, but we also talked about other things. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, it's really important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, all right. So signing off for today, uh, there is going to be no Google review for this week, but I'm sure we're going to have some spicy ones as we get to Europe. Um, can you even come give me that review in person and I will recount the story on the pod. But Hayden, if someone does want to get their review read out um, by you or myself on this very podcast, how do they do it? Yeah, uh, don't drop your reviews to us because then we don't get the you know the five star rating on the uh, uh, podcast services. So you know it's a catch. You can tell us about it. You can tell us, and we I'll, might I'll settle. It. I'll settle for a tenner. You know, you just give me a good review and a couple bucks. <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> uh, if you want to get your Google review and please submit them to uh, ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass, it will direct you to your preferred podcast platform. You can review us there with your you know your Spotify, your Apple. I don't even know what Apple's called these days and I don't know why you use it, but if you're that one, uh, you know, if you like to use your Pandora, whatever it is, uh, you can go and find Amazon Music, whatever it is, you can find uh, the link to review us there. Uh, it's also just great. It helps us get out to other people, potential people who want to listen to Flesh and Blood content and helps Arsenal Pass grow and we really appreciate it. So if you do like what we do or even if you think we're kind of okay, uh, leave us a review and, and let us know. If you think we're bad, just, just don't bother. We don't want the one star. <laughs> Those you can give us in person. Exactly. Yeah, sure. You can give us the, the uh, as, as my boss likes to call it, constructive feedback. It's always constructive feedback. It's negative. <laughs> um, all right, Brendan, that's going to do it for the pod this week. Uh, of course, we will be off by the time this pod is here. We'll be on our way to Asia, to Europe. Uh, we'll be in, uh, some, we're not in the house this time. We're in separate apartments, but we will be testing the week off. We will be recording a pod. The next pod you will see will be me and Brendan in Lille recording prior to the Pro Tour, which we're organizing. Uh, if you do want to, you know, get on board and, and follow the sort of action. Uh, you can find us both on Twitter at Brendan APG and at Fian underscore Dale for myself. YouTube channel, uh, we've got videos up there. We've got a few deck texts that went up recently. Uh, of course, just all our other content and the pod is up there as well. And big thank you again to our patrons. Otherwise, Brendan, uh, I will see you in a week and a bit. And for everyone else, we'll see you in a week also. Yep. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>